The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and that you're all eagerly back to work and uh, ready to um, listen to our show today because I find the topic um, extremely important and very pertinent to what's going on today in our lives and also with the disease of addiction. And um, chronic pain and addiction often go hand in hand. And um, there's a lot we don't understand about chronic pain. There's a, we're learning more about addiction, but there's still a lot to learn as far as that goes as well. And I'm very happy to um, introduce our guest, Dr. Peter Preskoff, who is an academic physician with appointments in neurology, pediatrics, and psychiatry, and an, I'm sorry, an osteopath who directs the pain management track at the Betty Ford Center, which is a part of the Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation. He is a board certified in neurology and addiction medicine, and since 2004, he's been a member of the faculty at Loma Linda University Medical School, where he holds appointments in psychiatry, pediatrics, and neurology. His interests are in the relationship between pain and brain dysfunction, and he utilizes various techniques, including functional imaging studies. He founded the Pediatric Chronic Pain and Headache Clinic at Loma Linda's Children's Hospital in 2008, and he has published over 40 articles and is active in teaching students, residents, and fellows. Um, Thank you for joining us, and welcome to our show today, Dr. Preskoff. Thank you, Mary. Uh, The introduction is scary because it means I have to actually some stuff that is meaningful. (laughs) Yeah, that's your task for today. (laughs) Um, I guess a good place to start is um, how how the medical world has conceptualized pain over the last 20 years because um, I, I, while we were waiting to do the show, I mentioned that I started my professional career as a registered nurse. I'm still a registered nurse. And how we treated pain in 1970 is very different than how pain began to be treated in the 90s. So maybe you could just share with our audience a little bit as how has this evolved and why has it evolved? Yeah, uh, in 1990, uh, opioids were used exclusively for cancer pain. Uh, but those people who were going through treatment for cancer, uh, including surgery, uh, chemo, and or radiation, and end-of-life care. For chronic pain, that's defined as pain that's been ongoing for three months or more, they were almost never used. And there were actually laws that controlled that. 
Sometime in the 1990s, two observational studies came out that, that kind of said, if you put chronic pain patients on opioids long-term, they don't become addicts, that they weren't particularly good studies, that they were just uh, cases that doctors had seen that they published as a group of cases or case study. At the same time, uh, pharmaceutical companies be- began aggressively to market that chronic pain should be treated. It's a fifth vital sign. And soon after the, per- the prescribing of opioid pain medications for chronic non-cancer pain just grew and grew and grew. Um, I think in 2010, there was one prescription written for opioids that year for every American. And as we know, uh, it hasn't turned out to be the great story that they assumed it would be. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that when I first started working in um, the addiction profession, people who were addicted to opiates are primarily people who were addicted to heroin. And um, you saw very few people who were addicted to any type of prescription medication. And um, as heroin became more expensive, we started to see more cocaine use. And then when cocaine became more expensive, we started to see more heroin use. But since the prescription of um, opioids, the whole profile of an opiate-addicted person has changed drastically. Yeah, uh, it's actually changed over to white males, uh, now actually females also who are middle class, uh, as opposed to kind of the the old view of the addict who was kind of down and out and on the the street. Uh, It's actually changed dramatically, um, and and it's probably our fault because of the prescribing changes that we've undergone in the last 20 years. What do you think, um, now you mentioned the initial research that was poorly done. Why do you think that um, the medical community embraced that so warmly? I mean, were there other factors? That was back during the time when um, drug companies were able to give away cruises and other types of um, incentives for uh, the yeah. use of different medications. Do you think that had anything to do with it as well? Uh, I think it was aggressive marketing. I think that doctors became scared because there was a, two doctors, at least in California, who had lawsuits uh, brought against them because they were said to not adequately be treating pain. Once doctors saw that, uh, they started to change their sort of mindset about how to treat pain and just sort of not knowing that someone has chronic pain, we're assuming that the etiology is from some sort of an injury that didn't heal and we have to do something about it. About a year ago, I was on a conference call with some people who were asked to call in by uh, NIH and I was talking about how this has been a disaster and we, we have to change how we think about this. And one of the people on the call said, okay, 
you, you are a primary care doctor in Arkansas or Kentucky or somewhere. You're seeing 40 patients a day. 60% of those patients are chronic pain patients who come in and just complain, won't leave. What are you going to do? Uh, you're going to tell them opioids don't work. Uh, you're going to stop them abruptly. You can't. So at this point, doctors are locked in and stuck until we have a new method of teaching, treating, and change our whole sort of a frame of mind. This is going to continue to be a problem. Well, um, I guess this is a good time to uh, talk a little bit about your book, Chronic, Conquering Chronic Pain, an Innovative Mind-Body Approach. We, we do know other approaches to treating chronic pain, and we do know that this medication can, can be and is most usually addictive. So why, why is there such a lag in changing practices, do you think? Uh, I think the lag in changing the practices in medical school you get basically no instruction in how to treat chronic pain. I, I think the state of Massachusetts just passed a law that requires doctors to get at least six to eight hours of teaching. And in terms of addiction, most medical schools don't teach at all. Uh, the school I went to, we had eight hours, and it was a panel of doctors who were in recovery, just kind of telling their stories. So it's, it's just because the instruction is either poor or non-existent, and the only fellowships out there are for anesthesiologists who still have this sort of a linear view that there's a pathology that's creating the pain, and the pain has become chronic. If you block that linear signal, things will be okay when we know that chronic pain is incredibly complex. You had mentioned earlier the definition of chronic pain as being any pain that's experienced over the course of three months that causes um, discomfort. Mm-hmm. And then, but in your book, you've got a new definition for chronic pain. And could you share that? Yeah. Um, Having seen chronic pain patients for over 12 years, I noticed that they were in pain long before a doctor saw them and diagnosed chronic pain. So I define chronic pain as any feeling that you have inside that is associated with a negative thought or emotion. So if there's an uneasy feeling inside... I define that as chronic pain. If you're anxious or depressed or have emotional things that you're holding on to and don't know how to process, I define that as chronic pain. And we'll be right back after this commercial. listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour This Time. This is Mary Woods, and we're talking with Dr. Peter Prescott about conquering chronic pain, and um, he's written a book by that title, and it's an innovative mind-body approach, we will, which we will be getting to, but um, just to kind of summarize our last segment, that there are multiple reasons why we have this explosion of opiate addiction in our country and there are that include the over prescribing of medication, the lack of education and training for prescribers, the aggressive marketing of pharmaceutical companies, um, the JCO, which is the Joint Commission on Accreditation for Hospitals that um, made uh, pain the fifth uh, symptom that everybody needs to assess. Um, so while there are multiple um, external reasons for this happening. I think it's important for us, and and I think that's one of the messages of Dr. Prescott's book, is that individuals can conquer um, chronic pain, and and it's really important that we understand that we we can control this. And I think um, before we went to commercial, I'd asked you what causes chronic pain, and you have some real theories about that. Could you share that with everyone? Yeah, so... uh... About five years ago, we started doing large cohort studies, and we, we had over 10,000 uh, people who answered a questionnaire and over 3,000 of, of them who had chronic pain. So we were able to divide them into groups who didn't have any pain 
groups who had pain that were completely under control, not on opioids, and groups of people who that team had completely taken over their lives. And we tried to figure out what factors there were for the group of probably 2,000 or more people that we had who that team had taken over their lives completely. They were disabled by the pain. And one of the interesting findings was that over 93% of them said that something had happened in, in their life's experience that hadn't been resolved, uh, some type of abuse, a bad accident that they had had, something that they had seen. So they were probably people who um, had a very stressful event, didn't know how to cope with that adequately, and still had, had that sort of chronic stress response that was on and unresolved. Uh, it's also a group of people who did not take care of themselves at all, had very poor self-care. Um, a group of people who were not clinically depressed but have symptoms of depression. And with kind of same symptoms of depression, I find the feeling that I can't do the things I used to. This body of mine has failed me, and, and I can't do anything anymore. They were anxious. They didn't sleep well. So, and they had this kind of cognitive style that we call catastrophizing. Things are bad now, and things are only going to get worse. So uh, a lot of the treatment I do treats that instead of treating it hurts in my back. I was trying to figure out how to stop the signal. Uh, I think that's why uh, in the programs I have for both adults and kids, things have gone pretty well, and I have a couple of outcome studies that uh, patients actually do well. So what do you do differently than a typical point pain clinic would do? Probably the most important thing is when I evaluate someone, instead of evaluating the diagnosis or the place of birth, I evaluate the person. And, and I try and learn as much about that person as I possibly can. So instead of treating the disease process, that has become chronic, and sort of treating the symptoms or the signs of the disease, I try and figure out what it is I can change about the person's brain, mind, spirit, body, that may be keeping them in pain. And oftentimes, it's it's the things I described. It's how they process emotions. It's unresolved issues. It's sort of a cognitive style that keeps them in pain. And just that they've given up hope for this, they don't think that there's a way out. You had mentioned in one of your earlier examples of a Vietnam veteran um, who was being treated for chronic pain but had never talked about any of his um, memories or some of the devastating things that had happened to him when he was in Vietnam. So people can carry uh, these emotions for years um, what does that do to you physiologically? Uh, does it increase your cortisol? Or? You know, I'm just finding out that if you hold on to those type of emotional things, it reorganizes the brain. So if you think of the, the stress response, it, it's our response to something that we perceive as a threat, and we all of a sudden have a lot of energy and put our attention on the threat and take it away from everything else. But what's going on in the brain and 
mind is is that the brain and mind are changing so that we're ready to either stand and fight or run. And when that happens, there's a chronic inflammatory state that kind of comes on so that if we get a wound, we're going to coagulate fast. So it, it, it causes a hypercoagulable state so that the, the blood coagulates faster. Uh, it also causes um, insulin that allows the glucose in the blood to go into the cell to not work anymore uh, so that um, we have a ready store of energy. But probably the most important thing, it turns off the more intellectual parts of the brain, the prefrontal lobe where the final decisions are made and goal-directed behaviors occur so that our decisions become more reflexive, reacting instead of actually thoughtful, and we're in a high-glucose, hypercoagulable state for extended amount of time. So if, if that's what's going on, our chances of getting ill and developing chronic pain are dramatically increased. Um, I didn't mention in the cohort that I talked about, those people didn't just have chronic pain. Those people were generally ill. They had hypertension. They had heart disease. They had uh, immunologic disorders like Crohn's disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It was like this sort of a a person, uh, sort of like the, this whole disease process had taken them over and, and just put them in a, in a state of illness. And I suspect, and a lot of others who are studying this, they suspect too, that that's because the stress response has come on, it's become chronic, and we don't have the ability to turn it off. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I think, um, you know, I here at Westbridge, we we try to be as authentic in our communication as we can because um, I think that when staff hold back, hold their feelings back, they tend to feel resentful. I think burnout occurs when people just keep everything in. And um, as with one of the beauties of the 12 steps is that when you're wrong, you can promptly admit it. And there's a you know, you can make amends. And so mm-hmm. I think when, when when people are able to do that, they don't mm-hmm. seem to be sick as often. They don't seem to be, um, I don't know, they, they, they don't seem to get, well, let me do this in a positive way. They're more flexible and they roll with things easier. And the people that are kind of, you know, always need to be in control and, cannot be vulnerable, they seem to be the folks that have the more chronic illnesses just, just in work. I mean, it's, it's, it's very noticeable when, you're, when you intentionally try to um, encourage people to just share what you're feeling in the moment so you don't have to take it home with you. Um, yeah. So it does make sense to me. Um, oh, and a lot of the, the Qigong teaching is also that um, it doesn't have to be about a story. It, it doesn't have to be about... I think I call them the book a narrative, and the uh, narrative is, is, is just how your mind is explaining the world. And then part of the narrative uh, is an autobiographical narrative. This is my experience in the world, and my mind is explaining. If you can get to a point where you can shut that 
narrative off and just go inside and feel. That's when I think uh, you, you can start to really access the the emotions or the energies that you've been holding on to that, that is part of the resentments that, that you discussed. Resentments are so toxic for people. I mean, um, they, I mean they're, they're just visceral inside. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's, it's, they're, they're tough. Um, it, early on in your um, book, you talked about how um, some people had been dealing with chronic illness for so long that they, in a sense, they became the disease or they become the disease. How does that happen? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, people with chronic pain go to a doctor. The doctor does tests, they examine them, they may do an MRI, x-ray, and they come up with a diagnosis that has a quote. But we don't really treat it well, and they're told that they have a chronic disease. And through the process of this and with chronic pain, I see a lot of people who actually sort of become the fibromyalgia or a lower back pain. It's, it's almost like their life becomes so consumed by that diagnosis that they become part of it and lose the person who they really are. It's, it's almost like being an addict. When you transition from casual use to, to addiction, you take on the lifestyle of being an addict. And chronic pain patients do exactly the same thing. They take on a lifestyle of being in chronic pain. So they, they're seeking relief in, in areas that, that they probably should not. They're, they're anticipating pain just like an addict is anticipating that if I don't use something soon, I'll go into withdrawals, the pain will come. So there's a lot of overlap. And then it, it, it comes into the, the point just like an addict where I really don't enjoy anything. The only thing I'm doing is obtaining this stuff so I don't get sick. So that's how I would characterize it, and that's how I say in the book that as chronic pain goes on, there's a lot of similarities to actually uh, addiction. Addiction and chronic pain have some similarities? Uh, In terms of brain states, there's a lot of overlap the entry point to both of them is one becomes overwhelmed with um, emotions that are negative. They can't be processed adequately. So one either transitions into chronic pain, one transitions into being an addict. The chronic pain patient thinks about pain all the time or most of the time. The, the addict thinks about getting drugs or alcohol and how to attain it and how to use it. There's a lot of negative emotional states that are involved. Neither one has too good of a sense of well-being. Neither one takes care of themselves very well. And each of them pretty much get to a point where they they are hopeless. Um, And if you look at the studies on the brains of each of the two, There's a lot of overlap. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time, and today our guest is Dr. Peter Prescott, who is the director of the Pain Management Clinic at the Betty Ford Center, which is part of the Betty Ford Hazelton Foundation, and um, I, I, I don't want anyone to think we're making light of chronic pain because um, we know that it's, it's very real for, for people, but it's important for everyone to understand that there are ways to overcome chronic pain that have nothing to do with um, prescription medicine and that um, because the brain becomes programmed to recreate the experience of pain as a coping medicine mechanism, it can be reprogrammed to learn different ways to develop coping mechanisms. So I just want everyone to be really clear that that this isn't, this is something that involves actual brain work that um, needs to get done. But before we get into more of the solution, I just wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about what are the long-term effects of opioid use and versus the short-term effects? Well, uh, interestingly, there's been a few studies that, that are shown within 24 hours of taking the first opioid, the brain begins to 
reorganize, which is scary because it's reorganizing in a way that's not going to help uh, too much. Uh, if one is placed on opioid prescriptions for chronic pain, they probably work for a month. Um, maybe you could extend that out to two months. After that, a few things start to happen where the brain becomes dependent and the mind becomes dependent and you start to uh, experience symptoms of withdrawal uh, as the blood levels go down, that becomes extremely uncomfortable and actually causes more suffering and pain. Um, the, the brain wants to respond and, and sort of adapt to being on opioids. And one way that it does it is it reduces the amount of power that the opiates actually have. That's referred to as tolerance. So that uh, the areas of the brain where the opiates work are sort of turning the signal down. Um, at the same time, the areas of the brain that turn the pain signal off say, these opiates are coming in, so I don't have to do anything anymore. And they sort of uh, turn off also so that it actually gets to the point where the, the pain signal is amplified. That's referred to as uh, centralized pain or hyperalgesia, which simply means increased pain. Um, at the same time, there was a study that was published two months ago that showed that independent of how much pain one has, when you're on opiates long-term, they bring symptoms of depression on and make people, frankly, depressed. And, and if you think about it, uh, opiates work on the mu receptor system in the brain. And that's important for everything that you like. Uh, if you like food, if you like a friend, if you like a movie or a situation that you're in, that system is going on and telling you that it likes something. If you turn that system down and kind of break it, your mood is always going to be flat. Um, it changes how your gut is able to digest food. It turns the immune system down. Um, it changes a lot of important Hormones like thyroid-stimulating hormone in, in males, it, it almost turns off completely. Uh, conatotropic hormones like testosterone uh, in females, it can do the same thing. I mean, those are just a few of the problems that occur that when your doctor prescribes them, they probably don't explain in any detail. If they even know it, <laughs> you know, even, I mean, do most doctors know that? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if they actually do. Um, a lot of the ones I talk to probably don't explain it because they only have 15 minutes or so to see the patient and they just don't have time to go over all the stuff in detail, which is kind of sad, but. That's what happens with managed care. Gee, you know, maybe it's time for doctors to take back their profession and <laughs> not let managed mm-hmm. care dictate to them how to practice medicine. Yeah, it's um, be tough. But that, that's a whole other uh, soapbox that's not relative to today. I think um, right. 
you know, the role of pain with our physical bodies plays an important part. Um, and, uh, you know, in many respects, pain is a natural outcome of over-exercising, of spraining your ankle, of, um, you know, if you're in an auto accident and you have aches and pains afterward. But it seems like as a, as a society, we have no tolerance for pain anymore, that we have this expectation that we should never feel pain. How do we combat that? Uh, It's important to distinguish between acute pain and chronic pain. When pain is acute, the the things that you described, the sprained ankle or some type of uh, sports uh, problem uh, injury, the body is telling you that something happened, that the body is telling you that something's wrong and you need to probably get help or rest or do something in order to heal. And the body has the ability to heal. And over the, the course of a week to a month, it should heal. If the body didn't heal, something's wrong. If, if pain persists for three months, um, something has gone wrong. And since the 1970s, there's been a number of studies that looked at, okay, this person has certain pathology in their spine. And about 80% of people, or probably 85% of people who have a pathology in, in their spine, walk around and don't have any pain, but 15% do, and about 8% have debilitating pain. So how do you explain the group who has the same pathology that doesn't have pain versus the group that has manageable pain versus the group that has that same pathology and that pain is debilitating? And that starts to get at the stuff. I explained from this study I described earlier. So what are some of the alternative um, methods that you use or to help people um, overcome chronic pain or conquer it? Well, uh, each day I do a group for about an hour and 15 minutes, and I get all the chronic pain people in the, in a room, and I, I start to discuss what chronic pain actually means. Uh, I teach them how the brain works. I teach them how the mind works. And I try to get them to understand what they may be contributing that's keeping them in pain. It's kind of hardest for us because chronic pain people want to pretend that, that it's not as bad as it is. But when you start to get insight and see that part of the way that you think about things or you process emotions, the, the the amount of hope and optimism that you have has been changed dramatically. And, and these are things that you can alter. Um, people start to actually come around and start to actually try and buy into the whole process. There's a Chinese technique that's movement that's called Qigong, it's Q-I-G-O-N-G, that I teach a simple routine that takes about a half hour. And it, it's just teaching people how to slowly move and use the breath and try to quiet the mind. Uh, as I talked about, when the narrative is quiet, the amount of suffering that you have alters dramatically and goes way, way down. Then I teach them techniques that they can practice to actually get to the point where their mind is absolutely quiet and they, they can explore some of the things that are going on inside of their bodies. 
So what's the typical um, recovery rate from someone who has been experiencing chronic pain? Um, how, how many people are actually able to conquer it and, and become pain-free? I uh, have an outcome study that we just went over. Uh, 122 people who came through my program. Um, average pain when, when they came in was about a 6.8 for males, about a 7.2 on a 0 to 10 scale. Um, when they leave, it's down to about a 1.6. And about 70% of people are pain free. Um, the depression symptoms dramatically improve. On the back depression scale, there's about an 18-point improvement that far exceeds the use of any uh, study using antidepressants. And they've, they've changed in terms of hope. They have optimism, but the only problem is, and I tell everybody this, this is just the beginning of a road. You have to continue to do the things I teach you every day. At one year, about 74% are still doing well. About 26% don't continue doing the work and either slip back into chronic pain, addiction, and or each. But at one year, it's about 74% who continue to, to do the stuff that keeps them doing well. So part of what they re- people really have to learn is self-care and, and yeah. daily self-care. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of a different type of self-care. It, it isn't just eating well and going to the gym. It's doing emotional, spiritual self-care that has a lot of overlap with 12-step recovery. Can you give an example of that, how it overlaps with the 12-step recovery? Yes. So when, when, when people come in, the first thing I tell them is, is you're going to have to learn what true honesty means. And true honesty isn't, you, you know, you, you tell everybody the truth. True, true honesty is you're honest about how you truly feel because everybody who comes in has a lot of emotions that, that they've been trying to numb. And there's a lot of emotions associated with being in chronic pain and being an addict because all the people I see are each. And you just have to be honest and just say that this is how I feel. This is where we're, we're starting from. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk a little bit more about honesty. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time, and our guest today is Dr. Peter Peskop, who is the director of the pain management track at the Betty Ford Center, a part of the Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation. And um, before we went to break, we were talking about how important it is for people with chronic pain to be able to be honest about their feelings. And, And what I think is sometimes difficult is people become so numb or so fearful of their feelings, they it's not that they are intentionally dishonest. They just don't know. How how do you help folks? Um, you you have to teach them how to practice. Uh, just being able to feel energy sensations inside of their bodies, because the the story is always negative, and, and telling the story doesn't really help. The true way to heal, at least from the perspective I have, is being able to authentically feel what those emotions feel like inside of your body. So you have to practice putting your attention there. It's, it's what people don't do. They, they keep their attention in well, the thing I described as the, the intellectual mind that's judging, always explaining. When you put your attention inside of your body and just feel, there's no judgment at all. It's just purely experiencing that, the things that are inside there. And when you start to do that, you can actually start to to heal. I mean, it it seems like it's so simple that it's absurd. But once I train people to do that, they start to transform completely, change. 
So if people want to learn more about uh, what's hit, your work at the Betty Ford Clinic or your other research, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the easiest way is to send an email or call the Betty Ford Clinic, and I'll give you my academic email. It's P as in Paul, P as in Paul, R-Z-E-K-O-P-F-L-L-U dot E-D-U. That's P-P-R-Z-E-K-O-P-F-L-L-U dot E-D-U. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch. Um, there's the book. There's a lot of other publications um, that I've done. Uh, there's actually explanations on YouTube. And it would be your name at YouTube, or would it be through the Betty Ford Center? Uh, I think if they put in my name, things will come up. <laughs> I just, okay. just have to make sure it's R-Z-E, because everybody puts easy. But the okay. Polish spelling is R-Z-E-K-O-P-R-Z-E-K-O-P. It's always spelled now. Um, while we were in break, you mentioned, and, and part of your work is working with um, young young people that are in chronic pain, and um, which I was really surprised to hear. And we really haven't talked about the role of stress as much as maybe um, we needed to because stress is such a big part of chronic pain. But could you share a little bit with our audience about what you're seeing with pediatric chronic pain? Yeah, sure. Uh, about 25% of kids have chronic pain, and I see the kids with chronic pain who have been through... Uh, all other treatments that people don't know what to really do with. A lot of adolescent girls, a um, lot of kids who just kind of uh, are under a lot of chronic stress, some of it's self-imposed, some of it's bullying at school, some of it the, the parents have split up and divorced and they blame themselves. Just a lot of things with really great kids who just gotten to a point where they're almost hopeless and... Um, when you examine them and you start going through their life, they're, they're anxious, they don't sleep well, they're, they're trying extremely hard, they have harsh self-judgment, and they just develop pain syndromes like headaches, back pain, uh, chronic abdominal pain, chronic musculoskeletal pain that can be treated and um, has to be treated or these kids aren't going to do well. They're not going to realize their potential. And again, as with adults, it's the early onset of stress being chronic and no one actually recognizing or teaching them how to get that under control and manage it. Um, gosh, I, I guess I'm sitting here thinking, like, how do, you, how do you avoid stress? You really can't avoid stress, but we all really need to develop our own coping mechanisms for stress, Right. You can't avoid stress, but you can change how you react to stress. Uh, if you get stressed and you internalize it and you're angry all day, resentful, things aren't going to go well because that does kind of uh, affect your, your ability not to be anxious, your ability to sleep. So it's sort of doing, I think, what they call in the 12-step community a daily inventory of how do I feel? Is there anything I need to deal with? Is there anything I have to change? And, and then adding 
to your routine mindfulness techniques, the, the ability to feel what's going on inside. Those are the things to me that I think have been uh, personally most helpful. And uh, I teach patients. A lot of my colleagues come to me and say, how do you see these people all day? These are the most difficult people to see. And then I say, well, I have to take care of myself, too. That's the only way I can help them. And that's the only way I can maintain any sort of sanity and still see. Do many people that experience chronic pain, um, do they... uh I don't know, use any type of uh, spiritual coping mechanisms or do they get reconnected um, to the spiritual side of them? Or? Yeah, they, they, they get reconnected with a lot of spiritual things. And the spirituality for me is simply this. I can heal. I have the ability to heal. There is something out there that wants me to heal and I'm willing to attempt to tune in to it in order to allow me to heal. It's as simple as that. It's not anything really uh, specific towards any organized uh, methods. It's just I can heal and I want to heal. Uh, That's the thing I teach and a lot of people understand that and start to change because of it. Well, I, I think, too, um, as you talked earlier, the mindset of um, accepting the things you cannot change and knowing the difference between what you can change and not change. And I think also being able to, um, you know, look at a solution rather than a problem. So when you're confronted with something, you, you identify what the problem is and then you immediately focus on solutions, I think that helps as well so you don't get bogged down in the problems. It's like it's like when we're always calling, calling somebody, not that we do this at Westbridge, we do the opposite, but you call mm-hmm. somebody a schizophrenic or an addict or whatever, then that becomes mm-hmm. their self-image and it's what's right. wrong with them, not what's right with them. And so I think it's really important to how we conceptualize um, folks with chronic pain, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If one is optimistic, it changes their life completely. And that's a great way to end our show today because um, optimism uh, can change your life. And for some of us, we have to really struggle to be optimistic. Um, thank you so much for um, being on our show today. This is fascinating. And I hope folks with chronic pain will contact Dr. Prescott at uh, Betty Ford, um, especially if you're looking for alternative ways to improve your life and to get rid of chronic pain. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.